You're listening to Dr. Karen, Love and Life, right now. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril, psychologist, author, speaker, former professor, professor, and musician. Learn how to have true intimacy. Drag down, knock out fights, and then have like really hot makeup sex, right? I'm all about living authentically and finding the best version of you and living life to its fullest. Don't stop that play button. Get connected. You know, marriage is great, but only if it's a great marriage. You know, fear can't live without thoughts to support it. Got the passion. Channel your path to a more authentic you. Living an authentic life. Listen to Dr. Karen right now on Love & Life. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love & Life. Hi there. I'm Dr. Karen anderson Abril. I'm a psychologist, author, speaker, former professor, and musician. You may know me from my latest book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. Here on Love and Life, we talk about living and relating authentically in all realms of life. We look at how to have true intimacy in romantic relationships, more meaningful friendships, healthier family connections, more productive and fulfilling careers, and we learn methods for staying happy, hopeful, and positive, all while channeling a path to a more authentic you, living an authentic life. So in May, it's going to be all about marriage. I want to devote this month to marriage, an entire month to look at this institution that is something that so many of us aspire to, and yet so often once we get there, there can be so many bumps along the way that marriage can not be as fulfilling as we would hope it would be. So even though I've focused a ton about singles, in the past episodes, I know that singles are very concerned about marriage as well because singles are aspiring to oftentimes to become married. And so what we learn about marriage from being married or from looking at the research on marriage, that can also help my single listeners as well. And since I haven't talked too much about marriage yet, I definitely want to because I do have a lot of married listeners. And I want to make sure that love and life covers a a great number of topics so that everyone finds that there's something for them. So as my listeners know, I was single for a long, long time. I didn't get married until 42. But even though I was single all those years, marriage was certainly something that I was always hoping to find. I wanted to get married. I believed in marriage. My parents were married for 57 and a half years before my father passed away last year. So I saw a strong model of a marriage that worked really well. And I wanted that, certainly. But at the same time, all those years that I was single, I have to say, I didn't always see a whole lot of marriages around me that looked like something that I wanted to be a part of. And so there's kind of that that disconnect between singles wanting to be married and yet not always seeing really stellar marriages that are happening with their friends and family. And so, of course, there's that tension between what you want, but then also thinking to yourself, is what I'm hoping to find not realistic? Is is that not really available to me? And as we've talked about in Love and Life, singles nowadays really expect a lot from marriage. I mean, they don't want to step into something unless it has. We've talked about Dr. Robert Sternberg's The Triangular Theory of Love, where we look at the three parts. We want that best friend, that intimacy. We want that commitment and that certainty in someone. And we also want that passion. I mean, we're looking for a lot in marriage. And and marriage researchers and sociologists and psychologists who study marriage they, they find that that is one of the concerns we have right now because people 
really expect that person that they partner with for life is going to be a lot of things for them. And maybe in our grandmother's day and our grandfather's day, they were probably more satisfied with something that was a little bit more, I don't want to say humdrum or, but, but they were probably able to find themselves to be happier when their partner just maybe was a good father and paid the bills. But nowadays we want a lot. And so in order to get a lot out of marriage, I would suggest that we look to the research because you know, I'm a bit of a psych nerd and I'd actually encourage all of you to channel your inner psych nerd with me because psychologists study a ton of different realms, obviously. I mean, it's the study of humans thinking and, and behaving, and that covers an enormous, enormous plethora of content areas. But many of the topics that psychologists research really have application for us immediately. We can read a study and, and, and immediately implement what we've learned from that study. So that's what I want to do today. I want to look at some of the research and find out what science tells us about marriage and hope to offer you something that you can implement today. Now to do this, I'm going to invite my husband to join me on the program because we always want to get the husband's perspective when we talk about marriage. I think it's essential that we get the other half of the equation and I love to hear the male perspective. So Dan, welcome to Love and Life. Thank you, darling. Nice to be here. Great, I appreciate you hopping on the program. So we're gonna talk about marriage all month on Love and Life. And to set the stage, I want to talk about a quote that I came up with, I don't know, a couple months ago. And it really speaks to what we're getting at here. My quote is, marriage is great, but only if it's a great marriage. I think that really brings into mind singles who are looking for marriage and kind of looking at the grass is greener, but we know it's only greener if it's a really good marriage because we know no one is more alone than someone who feels lonely in a marriage. It's another quote that I, I've used and shared on social media over the years. Speaking to people who are in marriages that aren't working, that's a very, very sad place to be. And, and there's lots of despair involved in that. And so when we look at what the research says about marriage and hoping that we can all have great marriages, I want to know what you think about some of this research as well. Very good. I look forward to weighing in. And yeah, I think we all see people with good marriages and maybe not so good marriages. And it seems in some cases with, I guess, with the latter, that we see each spouse maybe um, finding outlets, finding different ways to really kind of stay apart instead of maybe addressing what needs to be addressed mm -hmm. and, and doing that, you know, communicating properly. They start to grow apart and, and then it's, uh, you know, very hard to bridge back together. Yeah. So we are going to talk about strategies and signs and ways that we can look at what the research says and implement that immediately into our marriages so that we can have the best marriage possible. You're listening to Dr. Karen Anderson Abril on Love and Life. Go to her website, drkarin me. That's www.drkarin with a K dot me. Have any questions or would like to share your story with Dr. Karen? Email her, Karen, K-A-R-I-N, at drkaren.me.
The research I'm going to present to you is from Time Magazine. They had a special edition just a couple months ago called The Science of Marriage. And Dan and I were traveling and I went to the bookstore in the airport. And of course, me, again, the psych nerd, immediately went for, <laughs> ooh, there's research on marriage? That sounds like fun. I bypass all the romance novels and I go straight for the geek stuff. But I'm borrowing from that. And well, there's many articles and we're going to focus on one today. But the very first article where they kind of set the stage, they do show the research does show that people who are married and again in good marriages do tend to be healthier physically more financially stable and and affluent and also they have better sex lives so that last piece sometimes surprises people because they kind of imagine singles out there like you know can't be nailed down and like living it up in the bachelor pad and revolving door of ladies and but we find that the research shows us that in healthy marriages we do have a healthy sex life and of course the male perspective I'm guessing you're gonna say yay yes well, that, yeah that is critical <laughs> very important uh, I think you're certainly together with your best friend the majority of the time, hopefully, unless your your careers keep you apart a bit. So I think there's also more opportunity. But yeah, I think that uh, there's no question that passion in the marriage is key. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're yeah. going to talk about that because that's another thing that we see in healthy marriages. There's that appreciation for each other on a continual basis, which is hard because you're spending all this time together. And human nature, anything that we have in our life for a period of time, we tend to start taking for granted, which is something we need to stop doing. That's right. It's certainly human nature. And one thing I would say, and I, I guess uh, it's maybe not fair to generalize all men, but uh, I'll do it anyway. We're fairly simple beings in that we we want uh, appreciation and affection. And, you know, the, the affection piece, you know, certainly, you know, being the passion and the sex life. But it seems like that those those two things are really key to, I know, to make me be positive in my daily life with with my certainly with my relationship with you and and you're great of course at, at both those things but I think if there's a point to be uh, taken away that maybe a lot of people to simplify things you know kind of the two A's just the uh, appreciation and affection I think are are big keys when it comes to us men we call those love and life hacks here on Dr. Karen okay. Love and Life so that. we can leave listeners with a love and life <laughs> hack about appreciation and affection. And um, yeah, and so we're going to get to that in, in just a moment as well. As we've been saying, marriage is great, but only if it's a great marriage. What research also shows us, I came across a study a couple years ago, again, highlighting and underscoring the importance of a good marriage. If you're in a bad marriage, and in this case, the researchers were looking at women who felt that they couldn't speak their mind and so didn't speak up in marriage and just kept stuffing things and didn't really have honest conversations with their husbands, those women were more likely to die younger than women like me, for example, who speak up in our marriage. So this is stuff that we care about if we care about relationships, which most of us do. The vast majority of humans want to have really strong relationships and certainly they want to have strong marriages. It, it is kind of life and death type stuff to know that if women aren't able to speak up, that it's actually related to them dying younger. That's would, important stuff. That is important stuff. Yeah, that's interesting research. You can tell, I mean, you know how easy it is, all of us adults that have lived some life, how easy it is to just not say something and let something fester. Mm -hmm. And then we just get, it just kind of builds and makes us more anxious and and um, and more unhappy. But I would think that if you can stay away from the passive aggressive game, 
right? Because right. I think when you don't say anything, that's really kind of what you're being, you know, in one in one form, I guess. You're, and you're not being authentic, right? Because you're yeah. you're not you're not doing your marriage any favors. You think that you may just by not saying anything, you can be pleasant, and and that's you know, as long as you're pleasant and respectful, then you know, I think you should be able to communicate about anything. Hi, I'm Laura, and I love listening to Dr. Karen Love and Life every week in Evanston, Illinois. And one thing I will say related to that, and then we'll jump into the study that we're going to look at, I do think one thing that you and I do pretty well when I talk to other people who are married or people who are dating, I think one of the things we do, we do speak our minds, but I also know we take a moment, like we press pause. And I know I've done this to you where I've gotten, and I based on my personality partly, but also because I know that sometimes that feeling that feels just so intense, if I give it like five minutes and just take some deep breaths and, you know, say some prayers, I'm going to start to get rational again. You know, that that really intense emotion is going to be tempered by my rational thinking kicking in. And so I think I like that about us because I know we're both, I mean, I'm super sensitive and I know you're sensitive for a guy as well. And I know that I'm thankful that we don't have a lot of communication during those highly emotional moments that we give it a pause because I would never want to say something that I couldn't take back that I totally didn't mean. It was just like the fury was there. And so I like that about our communication. So, you know, we talk about communication and marriage like it's this big thing that is so important and it is a big thing and it is so important but we really have to unpack what we're talking about just to come out guns blazing for me would not work if you would come at me that way I would not respond well and I I don't think you would either I I think you're right and and I think what I was probably referring to more is going to sleep for instance with Mm -hmm, with uh, with something that was really bothering you on your mind and Mm -hmm. you know that was something that you just you certainly would be much more at ease if you got it off your chest so let's just do that in a kind, respectful way. But you're right. right. Any little thought that comes to your head that you disagree with your spouse, you blurt it out. That's that's not necessarily, unless you like that relationship. Yeah. If you like, you know, and we, and we all have friends that have those relationships where they, they love to battle and that's just part of their personality. Yeah. But, but that is not us. No, that's not us. <laughs> Hi, this is Damia Jackson. I am an avid listener of Dr. Karen's Love and Life podcast. It empowers, educates, and informs me to make better decisions in my life. I am happy that this resource is available to me. Okay, let's get into an article that I found again in this Time Magazine kind of compilation of research on the science of marriage and the article is called nine signs your marriage will last by kate rockwood so kate rockwood went and just combed the research to find some of the main elements of marriage that are predictive of a long-lasting marriage and so let's just go through these the first one i think was actually a little surprising to me and i think some of the listeners will find it surprising as well so the first sign that your marriage will last is one you dated for a while but had your own place and this is something that i think people find to be a bit counterintuitive though this is not the first time i've seen this research to support the fact that if you live together before marriage, you're actually more likely to get divorced. And you're actually less likely to get married than someone who dated for the same amount of time but did not shack up or, or cohabitate. According to the research that Kate Rockford came across, three or more years of dating is optimal to ensure that your marriage will last once you do get married. And again, living together is not the best idea. So what do you think, sweetie? Is that Does that surprise you? 
No, I don't think it does, actually, because when people move in together, it seems like that then that takes the pressure of any type of real commitment off. I know that I've seen several instances where one of the, one of the partners, and oftentimes it may be uh, the woman, thinks that they're going to get married and that the moving in will just kind of give them a little test run. You know, once uh, that, that woman's moved in, then, you know, there's really no incentive at that point for the guy. And sometimes even the, the guy will even buy a ring, you know, to kind of delay it. But as long as she's living there and he's having his cake and eating it too, um, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's very likely not to make that jump unless there's real high pressure. Really, how nice is that actually that, you, that your spouse has to be pressured or that your partner has to be pressured into getting married? Yeah. I don't know that that's everyone's uh, <laughs> optimal proposal story. <laughs> yeah, so then I gave him an ultimatum. <laughs> and I said, you marry me or I'm out. No, that's not so romantic. That wasn't your dream, honey. No, that wasn't my dream. No. So that is number one. Number two, I think this is very interesting. It kind of speaks back to what we talked about with communication. Like communication is obviously imperative, but what type of communication? So number two is you keep Mm-hmm's to a minimum. So what she means by that, Rockwood's research shows that if we are not fully listening, which again is something that's easy to do when you live with someone and you speak quite often throughout the day, sometimes we can be busy and distracted and we can be on our phones or working on something and do that half listen thing where they're talking and we give them mm-hmm, mm-hmm and then realize, oops, I didn't hear a word they said. Does that surprise you, darling? No, no, it doesn't at all. The uh, we're all guilty of it. There's no question of that. Right. <laughs> but but uh, I I think you and I uh, we do a lot of eye contact, and I think yeah. that, I think that helps. And it doesn't always help because obviously you know things can go on too long or who knows. And I think we try not to uh, monopolize either one of us monopolize the conversation. I think eye contact helps right. to, to to avoid the mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right. And this research was done by the Gottman Institute, which is one of the premier research organizations looking at marriage. And they've been doing studies for years and have a ton of data. And Gottman says that the way he says that you said eye contact, he says turning toward the bitter. So the bitter is the someone who's trying to engage and have a conversation. When they study couples, I mean, they they actually have them talk to each other and they observe it. And, And so what they find is that if you turn toward the bitter and show interest and support that alone predicts longevity in marriage. Interesting. Yeah. And so even when I read this the other day, we were traveling and so we were together for a long period of time and you know, you're reading the paper, maybe you want to tell me something and I'm busy, you know, writing and just reminded me, you know what, Karen, this is the love of your life here. If he chooses to try to engage you in conversation and has something he wants to share with you, you know, you wait a long time for this man. <laughs> Turn toward him. <laughs> you know, so again, like that kind of research that I can immediately implement and, and be a better wife. Well, it's just respect, right? It is. It, you're you know, right. And, and yes, a lot of that falls into a lot of categories, but uh, respect is key. For sure. So number three is one that I think is surprising because, well, I'll just say it and then you guys can figure out if it's surprising to you as well or not. So number three is you amplify your partner's positive. And I found this very interesting because what the research is showing here, and this is a study in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology by researcher Shelley Gable, she's looking at when something positive happens to our partner, how excited do we get for them? Let's break out the champagne, you know, and she finds that it's not so much how we handle each other's sorrow. That, that is not as predictive 
of longevity in marriage. Like say you're going through grief because, you know, you lost a grandparent or something or my support to you, Dan, in those sorrowful moments wouldn't be as predictive of our longevity as how excited I get for when something positive happens to you. That was surprising to me. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Well, I think sometimes you can see where marriages kind of become can become competitions a little bit. And I think that that, that just shows a strong marriage where it's a great partnership. It's not competitive. You, yeah. Each person mm-hmm. wants the absolute best for the other and is super energized when, when something great happens for, for the other person. And, and that's the way it should be. But sometimes what I've seen is if one of the spouses is in kind of a bad place, you know, just mentally and emotionally, they struggle to be as happy or, like I say, energized as they should be for their spouse when, yeah. when something good happens. Yeah, and I wonder, too, I'm just thinking now, we have very different professional interests. You're so supportive of me, but it's not too many cooks in this kitchen, right? You know, I'm the psychologist, right. you're the businessman. Right. And we gel those two things I think it works very well for us. But I'm wondering now, I'm thinking, especially, I don't know, I I have no research to back this up, but like two Hollywood stars, two actors that get together, that would be a place where it might be hard when the one gets the Oscar and the other has been trying to get an Oscar for 10 years, that sort of thing. I'm wondering that competitive piece might kick in. Hi, I'm Michelle from Valparaiso, Indiana, and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life. Number four is you talk, like really talk. So again, this looks at communication and tries to break it down so that we understand exactly what type of communication we're talking about. So quantity isn't only at work here. We also have to have the quality of communication has to be stellar. And this is a study out of the University of Michigan that looked at 373 married couples for 30 years. What they found is married partners, now that they're managing this business that is the marriage, right, and, and the household and the, and the child care and the mortgage, and so they end up talking a lot, but it's oftentimes mostly about who's running Joey to soccer practice and who's going to cover the grocery run. What they're doing is talking but not really talking and getting into that quality of conversation that they had when they were dating, which was, hey, I read this really interesting article or I saw this great movie, you know, and really just connecting on life apart from the business end of their marriage. Sure, sure. And probably trying to, to grow with each other and try to continue to learn. You know, it seems like that. Yeah, I know. That, I know you certainly have a tremendous curiosity for learning, which I respect so much. And I think I have some of that as well. And you've been blessed with a, a ton of it, which makes being married to you even more interesting, you know, because we have all these different give and takes and we we seem to be learning every week about different things. I think it's probably pretty easy to get into a rut, especially when kids are involved and finances are not going all that well and, you know, variety of circumstances. And so people just kind of go through the motion and, and just do what needs needs to be done and prioritize conversation there you know that type of conversation is not the priority yeah so according to this study what we can do to make sure that we are having conversations about something other than the daily tasks at hand they suggest that you have at least 10 minutes of communication at least a few times a week 10 minutes where you put away your phones and you agree we're not talking about Joey and soccer. I heard this great song on the radio it doesn't have to be anything profound but it just has to be something other than the kind of mundane day-to-day tasks of running a household together number five you had warm feet on your wedding day so this one hit home honey (laughs) because as my listeners know 
I was a runaway bride. This study was based out of uh, research that was done out of UCLA. And what's interesting is that whether women get cold feet, so women who had cold feet, but unlike me, (laughs) decided to go through with the wedding and didn't run away from the altar, women's cold feet is predictive of a marriage failing in the end, whereas men's cold feet isn't. Hmm. I wonder, do you think that that has anything to do with, you know, the saying of a woman wanting to to change a man and thinking, you know, I'll go ahead and get married because I know that I'll be able to change him. Mm-hmm. And we all know how successful that normally is. <laughs> What's that <laughs> adage? It's uh, women marry a man hoping to change him and men marry a woman hoping she'll always stay the same. <laughs> she'll never change. Right, right never change, yeah. 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 So... I don't know. I mean, again, you know, because this is something that hit home, <laughs> this is something I experienced. I'm just so, I'm just such an advocate for people listening to their gut in this situation because I believe it's so important to really trust your gut, especially with these major life decisions like marriage. And because I did trust my gut and it obviously worked out and I'm so thankful, it's hard for me to understand that a guy who's got cold feet that for some reason is not predictive of future divorce. My only thought about that that I can would be that men oftentimes have resistance to commitment, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so their cold feet might just be, "Hey, I'm now now I'm going to be locked down, right? Or should I really do this, or should I be still out running around?" And and where I think women's cold feet might be, is this really the right guy? Am I just getting married to get married? Yeah, I think it's probably a a pretty decent interpretation of that for sure. Number six, you fight fair. So again, getting back to what we kind of talked about earlier about communication and handling conflict, which of course is going to come up. And this goes back to the Gottman research from the Gottman Institute. And the number one predictor of divorce, and this is again through through many, many studies, watching couples interact, watching them quarrel, is contempt. So the number one predictor of divorce is contempt. If you find yourself feeling contempt for your spouse, you're in deep trouble. What does contempt look like? It's dismissive, it's disrespectful, and behaviorally, we see it through such actions as eye-rolling. In fact, some studies that the Gottman Institute has done have shown that you can predict a couple's divorce by the number of times they watch couples roll their eyes regarding what the spouse has said. Interesting. Yeah. We can all picture it now. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, right. it's good to know. Yeah. yeah. So they talk about couples as either masters or disasters. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. And and masters are not rolling eyes. They're not using sarcasm a lot. And I know some people, it's interesting to me, some people really, can, that's part of their identity. They're like, I'm a sarcastic person. Like we've said, you know, there are many, many different types of marriages that work for different types of people. Again, sarcasm is lumped in with contempt. So if you're using that as your default to the point that your spouse is feeling disrespected and feeling minimized or disparaged, that's something that would be advised against (laughs) from marital therapists based on this research. Well, you, you can always disagree and still be with your spouse kind and respectful. It's, it's not always easy. You, you still have to be the adult and both be adults, certainly, and sit back and maybe take a deep breath. As you say, take five minutes. As long as you come back and you're respectful and you realize that you're talking to your best friend, 
Right. And there's a reason that you're married, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even even think back, you know, I, I bet it would be helpful to, to just, if you get too frustrated, to think back, you know, why did I fall in love with this person, right? right. And list a couple of their wonderful qualities. You know, I, I love her eyes and then, you know, I love her sweet little nose and, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> or, or her kindness, you know, and I'm not a relationship expert like you, honey. So. Well, babe, you're doing great because honestly, marital therapists, that's off, oftentimes the very first question they'll ask a couple when they first see them in that initial session, they'll say, so why don't you tell me how you guys fell in love and what you first found so attractive in your partner that drew you to them initially? So, honey, you're right on it. Yeah, I did. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're nailing it, babe. Good nailing it. <laughs> Good instincts. And then also to kind of harken back to what we talked about earlier, according to the Gottman Institute, these disasters, these couples that aren't handling conflict well at all, they find that when they get into conflict situations and these conversations, they, they enter into what psychologists call flight or fight mode. And this is a very base physiological response that is survival mode. So when we are threatened, we either want to take off or we want to put up our dukes. And so physiologically, I mean, and they do tests to look at the the cortisol levels in their bloodstream and so forth. And they find that when they're in conflict discussion, their bodies are in this very extreme, very panicked mode. And so again, like we said earlier, they're, they're not thinking straight. They're not thinking clearly. And they're getting into this very very threatened posture. And again, this makes me so sad when I look at this research, I'm thinking, no, you're on the same team. Don't forget, (laughs) (laughs) you're married. It's you and your partner against the world. But they're losing that and then attacking each other. You can also sometimes be guilty of not giving your spouse the benefit of the doubt. A wife is off for a couple more hours than the husband expects her to be. And so he's thinking, what in the heck is she doing? Is she just flitting around and you know, shopping and spending my money, and, you know, <laughs> whatever. You could come back and find out that, that she was shopping for you or that she was doing a nice thing for a friend or being the, the kind person that you know her to be, right? And it, but yeah. it, it's so easy to, to get into a negative space sometimes if things don't go according to plan. Yeah. Or according to your little plan. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven. You've got demographics on your side. So now we're going to look just at some of the demographics that are related to enduring, lasting marriages. First of all, a college degree. So those who have a college degree, in this case they were looking at women, 78% of them could expect to have their first marriage last 20 years. Whereas as opposed to women without a college degree, only 40% of their first marriages would make it to 20 years. Um, For men, it's not quite as predictive of a lasting marriage, with 65% of college-graduated men could expect to hit two decades of marriage compared to 50% for those with a high school diploma. So that's kind of interesting, too. And that's kind of hard to maybe wrap your mind around. I don't know why necessarily, except probably. And I don't know if the study looked at this. I would imagine they would control for age. But again, to my mind, I'm thinking of the four years of college. Of course, it's nice to get all these courses and to learn all kinds of interesting things with liberal arts or whatever but also you do learn a lot about becoming a little bit more independent we hope you're having to do your own laundry (laughs) except for davidson i think right (laughs) they don't do their own laundry (laughs) but yeah so i mean we're hoping that those four years buy you some emotional development that maybe those who don't go away to college don't get so that's the only thing i can kind of interpret that Hi, I'm Linda, and I listen to Dr. Karen, Love and Life in Bedford, Kentucky. Number seven, 
age is another factor, which does not surprise me at all. And I've talked about on Love and Life before that there's quite a bit of research to suggest that the older we are at the age of first marriage, the uh, less likely we are to divorce. And so we see, especially for example, couples who tie the knot in their teens, which I'd love to know, just demographically speaking, how many are doing that nowadays. That doesn't seem to be something I see a lot of, but maybe it's still happening. But yeah, if you get married in your teens, you're significantly more likely to divorce than those who wed in their 20s. And according to the study, I've also seen at least 26. I've also heard 28. There's a couple different studies out there that are looking at that, but at least to get into your late 20s is predictive of being able to, once you get married, go the distance. Number eight, you both carve out me time. Now, this is something that certainly is interesting for me. Again, having been single so long, I didn't get married to be single. You know, so I sit on the fence with this because I know like we just enjoy our time together so much. But when I was single, the notion of spending all day, every day with someone that did kind of freak me out because I was so independent after all those years. I remember telling my friends and they laugh now because this is actually what we have. I remember saying, I would love marrying a guy in sales and he could go and travel for a couple days a week and I'd have my space and then we'd get back together and, and miss each other and it'd be so great because we would really appreciate each other more because we didn't see each other all the time. Which is funny because you do travel, but because we get along so well, I travel with you most of the time anyway. <laughs> so I don't feel that need anymore, but that was me and my single mindset being worried that maybe I wouldn't be so good married because I was pretty happy single, you know? And I think both of us make our opportunities, though, to get our own me time. Yeah, you know, for sure. You certainly, even though this country mouse moved you from the city down to the country, <laughs> you still get your city time with your girls quite often and... And I get plenty of guy time with, with my friends. So I think there's a healthy balance there. Yeah. And it's interesting because, again, now being married, if you did, you know, we talk about like golf widows. I mean, that's a thing. <laughs> I mean, like I'd heard of that term years ago. And yes, you enjoy your golf. And I love when you go on your golf trips. And I know that you love that. And that's good, you know, male bonding time. But if you were golfing so much that I felt like I was way down in the totem pole of priorities for you, that would be so hurtful that wouldn't work at all. So it's, it's, it's a delicate balance and I think every couple has to work on it. And so then to combat the potential for boredom, this research is showing that when I have my me time and I have some you know, funny, crazy story with a girl's trip and then you have your you time and you do your male bonding and come back with a funny, crazy story from your golf trip, then we get to share that and I can't wait to share it with you because you're the love of my life and, and I want to tell you every funny story that ever happens and the same is with you, you want to tell me and that just provides more stimulation and interest in the marriage. I think you're right. I think it adds excitement and we're both storytellers and so <laughs> I think we both enjoy that whole process anyway and so yeah. um, no, it's a lot of fun. And number nine, you cultivate a culture of mutual appreciation which I love this. Again, looking at Gottman's research, the marriage masters, they are always primed and ready to note something they can be grateful for. And that is so powerful. I love that. According to Gottman, our research shows that a rich climate of appreciation is a big predictor of long-lasting, healthy relationships. People don't think their partner really needs it or already knows it. So they stop saying what they appreciate and start to take the person for granted. This goes back to what you were saying, appreciation and affection. That's right. And, and it's so easy to, um, if you're living with somebody every day and spending all this time with them, it's, it's so easy to, to not say thank you and to, to, um, 
to just be a little bit more abrupt, right? Because that's kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the pattern that you get into. And I think it's really important to treat your spouse very respectfully. Mm-hmm. And appreciation is part of that. Mm-hmm. Some more research uh, that relates to all this shows that men have an even greater need for affirmation than women. Honey, there you go. You are like straight up relationship expert. What's going on? <laughs> there you go. I've oh my re- gosh. I don't know. I don't know, honey. It's just good parents, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Got but, lucky. But another thing that I love, and I remember, uh, so my best friend from high school, Kate Gailey, who is an avid listener. Thanks, Kate. We were talking. It was during my bachelorette party, and she and I, she came up to Chicago, and we were, and we stayed in the hotel room, and we were having a drink after one of the parts of the weekend of all the marriages that I saw and I mentioned earlier that I didn't always see marriages that looked so appealing to me but Kate and Mike have a great marriage and I remember sharing that with Kate like you know your marriage is something to aspire to for sure and she's like you know Karen and she'd been married like 10 years by then maybe more she's like Karen I don't know why people try to say that marriage is so hard she's like you spend your life with your best friend and you treat them like your best friend well put. I know. And I was like, and I told her, and I, you know, again, I hadn't been married yet. And we'd only, we were, he'd been together almost two years when we got married. But I remember thinking, I get that. I resonate with that. Why would I say anything derogatory or demeaning or hurtful to you that I would never say to Kate, for example? Like, why would I do that? And, and so I loved that. And I was encouraged. And I, and you know, five years in, we're, we're about to celebrate our fifth year anniversary. And five years in, I, I remember that conversation and I, I think we've done that. I think we treat each other with the same respect and of course even more respect really than we would our friends. So just to leave the listeners with a love and life hack, I'm going to steal one from my husband. Affection and appreciation. Now affection, not all of us are touchy-feely people. And remember we talked about the love languages a couple episodes ago. So if you need to refresh on what that means, go back and check out that episode. But most of us want some sort of affection at some point in time in our marriage. So understanding what your partner needs in terms of affection and certainly appreciation. We all want to feel appreciated in life. We want to feel appreciated in our jobs. We want to feel appreciated in our families. We want to feel appreciated with our friendship groups. So of course we want to feel appreciated in our marriages. So the love and life hack for this week is give your partner some affection and appreciation. Double A's. All right. Sounds good. You can find me at my website, www.drkaren.me. At Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Facebook, I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abral. On Instagram, I'm Dr. Karen, D-R period K-A-R-I-N. I would love to hear from you. You can email me your story or ask me a question. I'm at Karen, K-A-R-I-N, at drkaren.me. Thanks for subscribing on iTunes. I can also be heard on Stitcher, Spreaker, and SoundCloud at Dr. Karen Love and Life. If you head over to my website, please sign up for my Riff on Relationships. I send out one to two emails per month letting you know what I'm blogging about and what we're covering on the podcast. Please let me know if you have any topics you want me to cover. I want this to be your show as much as it is mine. Thanks to my producer, Michelle Musso, and my communications manager, Dale Gregory, and to my husband, the love of my life, Dan Averill. Remember, marriage is great, but only if it's a great marriage. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Averill. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, make it a great week.
and just like breathe.